I want to make super cool. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Drunken Cultured. I am joined here today by a very special guest, my friend Dave. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell everybody where you came in from? So, I, um, I came in from Gaza. So, I work overseas and uh, I get a chance to come back to Canada maybe once a year, twice if I'm super lucky. So uh, I miss the heat wave, apparently, yeah. um, but I'm super used to heat, so I'm a bit sad about that. But at the end of the day, it's all good. So, um, you know, Canada just changed its quarantine requirement on the 5th of July uh, to vaccinated Canadians. So this is like the first time I'm here in almost two years now. Well, you've been missed. How does it feel to be back home? Amazing. Drinking some good Canadian beer. Totally, totally. Nothing like uh, the microbreweries here, which I feel like... You know, when I was on the top of Grouse Mountain the other day, they gave me Molson Canadian. They didn't have a single microbrew. And I was like, I haven't had Molson Canadian since 1996. And I was thinking, I got to get out to Port Moody. This is going to be amazing. Microbrewery city. Anyways, all good. The sun is shining. The sky is blue. What more could you ask for from Vancouver? Exactly. Well, welcome home. So just before we get started, as always, we're going to take a quick second to talk about what we are drinking. So as Dave mentioned, we are in an area where they have lots of microbreweries. We are drinking one currently called Dreamboat, which is from a brewery called Parkside in Port Moody, British Columbia. What do you think of the Dreamboat? I like them cloudy. You like them cloudy. So this is a hazy IPA, uh, India Pale Ale. It's a little bit higher on the hops. He tested another IPA right before this one from a neighboring brewery called Yellow Dog. In comparison, which one do you think you like better? You know, it's really hard to choose. It's 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 good and and gooder. Good and gooder. <laughs> <laughs> So I, they're both great. I'm, I'm definitely on the Parkside boat right now. No, uh, yeah, no, I'm on the Parkside boat right now. Uh, Yellow Dog was great to start out with. We're on Parkside. Let's see where we go next. All right. And would you say that we probably have the best beer? I mean, come on, we're Canadians. Exactly. I right? mean, honestly. Okay, we're back again after some technical difficulties with a new beer. So this one is the Yellow Dog Pale Ale. Take a sip. Let me know what you think. Testing, testing. One, two, three. This is kind of a go-to in our household. That's going to go down well. That's a good one, right? It's amazing. Yeah. That's a nice, easy-to-drink beer, but not too light. It's got a lot of flavor. We're good. We're golden. It's got a good nose on it. It's got a nose on it, yeah. All right. So, Dave has worked for the UN for how many years? Let's not count. Okay, several years now. And always excited to come home. Totally. But with that job, you've had the opportunity to do a lot of travel. More than most people. And and one of the things I like to tell people, Sarah, is like, mostly places that Lonely Planet will never write a book about. Yeah, probably. Maybe I should do that once we're done this. Right? We should go on a tour and like write a book about all these places that Lonely Planet will never write a book the about. Armored car tour of Gaza. You know, armored cars, you know, um, turning around at the last minute because of, you know, child soldiers kind of like running down the street. Cities getting sacked by like armed belligerents. You know, I think there's some stuff there we could probably use. Things you definitely need to know. Yes. I mean, it would make an interesting book nonetheless. 
you know, people people need to read and they need to do, you know, get like different perspectives, right? If for people who want to get different perspectives. So if you could throw a number out there, how many countries um, or cities have you been to, do you think? Listen, back in the day, I remember like Facebook had this, I don't know, I don't even, I don't even know what it was called. It was an app, but it was like this thing where you could like click on all the countries that you've been to. And at that stage, it was like one third of the world. Okay. That is a considerable amount. It's pretty crazy. Um, So Latin America, obviously, Africa. Uh, Central Asia, obviously a lot of Europe and North America is pretty pretty easy to kind of nail down. But yeah, like a third, so it's pretty it's pretty um, impressive. I, yeah, it's it's a lot basically. So so I I think uh, there's still some big parts of the world that I don't know and I would like to kind of explore. But at the moment, it's it's there's a lot of exploration that's been done. Mm-hmm. Well, of those countries, how many have you lived in? Wow. Um, I think, I, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in Gaza right now working for the UN. So, so I think this is my 17th duty station. So I've had like short-term and long-term missions. So, you know, it could be anywhere from like going on a posting for a few weeks to sort something out or actually living in a place for like multiple years. So 17 locations is, is where I've sort of worked slash lived um, or had a base and had to do short-term missions, kind of checking stuff out. So most of that is, is um, I think the closest to home for us is Haiti, um, but everything else is, you know, you know, pretty pretty far out there, like, you know, uh, Ivory Coast, Uganda, Goma, Democratic Republic of Congo, you know, Kenya, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Timor-Leste, you know, which is just north of, you know, Australia and stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty all over the place. Well, then even outside of the UN, like you're from the East Coast, you moved to the West Coast. Totally, yeah. You also lived in Florida and Boston as of now. You've spent, spent some time there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, pretty neat to go to so many different places and see different. I like the I like the cultures and contexts and different challenges that you got to sort out in the different places that you go to go to. So I remember when I uh, you know I was a banker back in the day. I did corporate finance you know in, in Vancouver for almost ten years. So so I have my three C's. So I tell people like why do you do what you do? I'm like well you know context, culture, and challenge. You know it's pretty pretty. I mean, amazing what you can do here, but like, imagine what are you what you're doing here, and put yourself in like another country, and can you still do the same thing to the same level? You're kind of doing that, but to a greater level. Like a greater level in the context that I'm in. So you know, you're trying to make the world a better place. You know, we talk about like that kind of stuff, but you know, you're trying to make a better place for the people who are displaced or have some kind of need, and you're trying to like address those needs and, and make life better for them. Mm-hmm life better for them is still like falls short of like where we're at here in wonderful Vancouver yeah definitely different quality of life of the places that you've lived what are you know if you have a favorite or some of the favorites maybe some of the places you wouldn't want to live again yeah you know it's super interesting uh you know you you get different uh you get different vibes from different places so and and you know I've I have uh, grown to kind of appreciate that I have like man memory, so I I selectively get rid of everything that was not a great great uh, scene, and and I have 
good memories uh, otherwise. So, look, I, I have, like, pretty funny moments of different places, but because of the people that I was with. You know, like, for me, when you travel, so much of what you travel, when you're, when you're seeing stuff, it's, like, one thing to experience it for yourself, but also experiencing it with friends. So, so, you know, I remember we were in Morocco and, and I, you know, I'm like, you know, well, let's try everything, right? So we're in this place called Fez, which is like an ancient city. And it's, I think it's where the first university was ever kind of established in the world back in the day. And we're sitting down, we're eating with a friend of mine. And uh, my friend's like, you know, what are we eating? And, and, the, and the guy's like, well, we're having pigeon pie. <laughs> So it's like, you know, I'm like still eating and all of a sudden my mate starts like, you know, having like a, a heart attack in terms of what we're eating. So I, I think like favorites are, are really linked to memories and, and, you know, that kind of comes out. But uh, there are also memories that are like not so, like, it's kind of surprising, I guess, right? So I'll never forget when I, uh, when I was based in Oslo, Norway. You know, you, you, you know, Norway is a country super similar to Canada in the context of like the geography, like a super n like nature oriented people. But when you fly and when you fly into the airport, it's super similar to Vancouver, actually. Like, you know, there's a lot of wood. There's a lot of like, you know, rustic stuff. But then when the doors open and you've cleared customs, the smell of boiled hot dog all of a sudden kind of takes you, you know, your, your nose is kind of like permeated with this like boiled hot dog smell. I'm like, man, I haven't smelled this since I was like. I don't know, university or something like that. I couldn't afford anything else to eat. You know, like, what the Was heck? It, like, is sausage a big thing there? Or, like, well, that's not really what I would think of Scandinavia. Right? I imagine if it's going to smell like anything, it'd be like, oh, the pickled fish. Or right. Well, and then what's ironic is that you take the bullet train or whatever they have to go, the flutoge is what it's called. And, uh, and you, and you know, you end up spending, I can't remember what it is, but it, it must have been like at least like $50 to get on the food to get, but maybe it was $20 and it felt like $50. But anyways, you know, and you're sitting there and you're, you're getting your hot dog, your boiled hot dog is as like the first thing you get when you arrive and you're like, you know, obviously the other thing in Norway and like these, these countries, it's like the, the price is crazy. You know, you're talking about $12 for a beer. Now I'm talking. You know, I'm a bit aged now because twelve dollars. I was just out the other day on the North Shore in Vancouver, and it was like twelve dollars for a beer was That's par for the course. Pretty normal, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like ten years ago, maybe like they were already there. So God knows, I got to go back and visit, and maybe they're at twenty-two dollars a beer. But yeah, Oslo, I feel like, and Vancouver, they're always. And I mean, I don't know who makes the lists of the most livable cities and the most. What I feel like, we're always kind of closely rated to each other too yeah because it's a really easy city super safe super easy to get around um, full of nature you know we don't have uh, you know we don't have uh, you know we don't really have a lot of issues you know what I mean so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good environment there and people are really you know I I hope your listeners agree with me but I think we're very homogeneous you know like it's very you know the the um, you know, the people are all after kind of the same thing. So, you know, you go to the park, you have a picnic, you know, like, so it's, it's super easy. It's really easy living. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that makes Vancouver and a lot of like Nordic countries sort of the best cities to live in. It's just security, strong education, strong health care. And, and, um, and, you know, people are just pleasant and happy. Just generally nice. Totally. Of the places you've lived, is there anywhere you're like, I hope I never get stationed there again? Or, I mean, I feel like living in Gaza is kind of probably difficult as it is. I don't know 
that there are many other places that yeah i mean i feel like it's got to be stressful on your body to live there almost always living in war i mean it's 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 super interesting because you know uh your risk you know your perception of risk and how you assess risk is totally different you know when you're when you're doing like those kind of things so um i gotta tell you that uh i was incredibly surprised at how uh, fulfilling living in Gaza was. You know, like the people that live in Gaza, the Palestine refugees that are in Gaza, super educated, super motivated, super innovative, and really up for a challenge. And I didn't expect that, you know, for people that have been under a blockade since oppressed. 2006. Oppressed. Like, you know, I have people that work for me that, you know, are 40 years old and they've never left the Gaza Strip. I mean, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine? I, cu- I couldn't... Leaving a 50-kilometer radius, basically, of your home at, ever. You know, and, like, your parents would have been able to move around, but you can't. So so I was... Uh, and, I, and I had just lived in Jordan for quite some time before then. So, you know, I always tell people, like, you know, the one thing that was amazing about Jordan, uh, about Gaza for me is, you know, the operation that for the United Nations there, you know, we, we spend around $460 million U.S. a year in providing basic services like a government would to Palestine refugees, 13,000 staff, you know, health, education, food security, and all these kind of things. And, and it's incredible at how, how motivated they are. Now, I, I didn't have that same sense in terms of organizational culture and, and really rewarding work experience in other many other places that I've worked in. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. So I really think that the Gaza was pleasantly, it was, it was really surprising. It was really great. But there are other places like, you know, you know, when I was in, you know, other, you know, for me, when I was in Jalalabad, Afghanistan, like my main memory of that was, you know, uh, not eating the greatest food and ending up, you know, on a toilet for like three days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, sometimes your, your sense of like what was great and what was not great has nothing to do with like the culture, context or challenge or, 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 or it just has to do with like some terrible thing that happened to you and you're like, oh man, I'm never going back there. Yeah. Never eating those tomatoes again. <laughs> For sure. You're easily the most well-traveled person I know. Off the top of your head, approximately how many countries? I've got, I've got to say it's like well over... Well, what's a third of the world in terms of like countries? Like, what is there that? Hundred and there's like member state wise, there's like there's almost two hundred. So, third, I, it's a good chunk. It's a good chunk. So, like I, I have to say that I'm least. Familiar, maybe it's easier to do what I'm not familiar with, right? So, all of those like uh, Pacific islands, you know, in the Pacific yeah, Ocean okay. and stuff like I don't know that. I haven't like done Samoa. And yeah, stuff like yeah. That. Not, like there's some big places I'd like to go that I haven't been to. Like I haven't been to China, I haven't been to Japan, I haven't been to Australia, mm-hmm. which is pretty, you know, pretty epic in terms of not being able to go there. And so uh, I'd like to, in terms of Africa, I've seen like a lot of sub-Saharan Africa, a lot of the Great Lakes district of Africa, but I haven't seen South Africa. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, a bit, a bit odd. And, but, you know, I'm pretty familiar with like Latin America, Central America. And, uh, and North America, so, and most of Europe, you know, we all travel to Europe and stuff like that, super easy. So I think, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot to be had still there in terms of Asia Pacific. Yeah. Mostly. Do you have, like, to travel for leisure, do you have a favorite place that you've been? Or anywhere that really stands out as, like, somewhere that you loved? 
I, you know, my my parents are from Argentina, so you know, whenever I get to speak Spanish and I'm in Latin America, it sort of feels like home. But it's super interesting because, like, the culture of Latin America, and you look at uh, you know Spain and a lot of the cultures in the southern Mediterranean, you know, Greece, Portugal, it's a similar kind of bond. And then when you go over to the Arab countries, they're also super uh, family oriented. So it's interesting that we're like talking different languages, but like that 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 element of the family it, it's super super common and so you can sit down you know when my colleagues invite me for a dinner and there's three generations at the table like you know we don't see that so much in Canada I mean maybe maybe in some sort of subculture you know in terms of our of, in terms of our healthy little um, country we, we have it but it's it's I wouldn't I would say that I it it's for me something I recognize more when I'm like overseas you know whether you're Italy when you're in Greece you know with your friends and you sit down at the table you've got like you know grandma great-grandma you know sometimes and 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 you know like the great-grandkids at the table it's super it's super familiar I guess yeah. so there's um, a greater respect for right the elders yeah and exactly family just in general I which think. is interesting right because in some cultures like our culture i wouldn't say that there's a i mean if you ask people i think they would say yeah of course we respect them but when what, like what do you do mm -hmm. you know so not in the same way that like you know i know that i mean at least here it's common for like the eastern asian families to have multi-generational households so not even just spending lots of time with their grandparents and great-grandparents but you know generally everybody lives under the same roof until they get married or even when they get married right the and son stays at home exactly yeah, exactly so in. super if i if we look at like an anglo-saxon i hate to like put everybody in boxes it's yeah. not, obviously not like this like but you know, eighty twenty rule, it's right? It's not a rule. It's but you know, eighty twenty. You know, maybe you could say, but you know, the Anglo-Saxon thing is like, you know, okay, we're eighteen or whatever. Like, we're getting out of here. I want my independence. And I want to do my own thing. And you know, you sort of maybe you come back home every weekend or whatever to do whatever. So, but I think that uh, it's not as uh, it's 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 not as embedded in our culture from an Anglo-Saxon perspective as much as it is in sort of like a more Latin culture. So or Arab culture for that matter and like you said like you know um, uh, Eastern Asian as well so so it's interesting I just you know it's like something to appreciate I guess and I think when I'm traveling you know whether it's for work or for personal uh, you know for, for when I'm on leave or vacation like it's really interesting to pick up on those things you know like when you get to like meet with a family that's kind of from somewhere you don't know mm -hmm. and they invite you to their house and you know you're doing this or you're doing that like what are you eating what are you talking about? What are the things that are important in your life and stuff like that? That's super enriching, I think. A, a little bit different than sitting on a beach and taking in some sun, which is important as well because vitamin D we all need. Of course. So Argentina, it's the family. It's the nostalgia for you. I'm sure the good wine and the amazing meat doesn't hurt like right? barbecue down there i've heard is unreal right yeah argentina uruguay you know they, they've got some pretty fantastic uh uh things uh down there but uh but there's other things in other places you know i was like in uh in other countries where you know canada we're a big barbecue culture yeah. but it's but it's it's yeah exactly it's not like it's not like a um it's not the pentultimate thing you know uh, as it is in other yeah and then, am I right to say, I remember you saying that Bolivia was up there on your list of places. Is that wrong? You know, or is it Uruguay? I don't know why I thought Bolivia. 
You know, Bolivia is like the one place that I've been to. So I, all of this travel that I've done, I have, uh, I have, I know that one of the things you wanted to ask me about, you know, was around, um, you know, like what are the, you know, what's one of the things that from a, from a traveling perspective that you'd recommend to people. So, so for me, one of the things is always like, you know, beware of the scam. So it's like, it's not so much, you know, like where are the top five places to go? You know, where are the best foodie places to go or whatever? I'm always like, what's the, what's the scam in the country that you're going to, right? So I was in Haiti. I was like pretty clear on that. You know, when you go to Morocco and you get off like a ferry from Spain, what's the scam? So, so for me, um, you know, uh, I, I'll never forget Bolivia for, for not doing that and realizing that a lot of people get on the trans, you know, cause they're, it's pretty impoverished, which surprised me, right? So I had my backpack stolen. And one of the key things that I do when I'm traveling is I always make sure like, you know, half my half my valuables are in one backpack and the other half are in the other backpack. So if one, it's highly unlikely like both will get stolen, but one will. And in this particular trip, I went against my own fear and I thought, you know, this is totally sketch. Something terrible is going to happen. I'm going to consolidate all of my stuff into one oh, backpack. No. And that was the one backpack that got stolen the first time ever that it happens to me on any travel and i gotta tell you it was a few days before christmas i was gonna go see my grandmother in argentina and i arrive at the border of bolivia with no passport no money i had luckily I had some friends with me but no nothing and i had to cross the border just on like pure uh acting skills to get to get across without having a passport stamp without having anything and just you know busting through there so I guess I was wrong. Yeah, Bolivia, <laughs> not a highlight. Bolivia's got some wicked natural was stuff it going on. Then, or was that Uruguay? Uruguay. Okay. Uruguay. So I got like uh, a big, big, uh, you know, there's a summer fun destination for the rich and famous in, in South America. Typically is uh, Uruguay, a place called Punta del Este. And that's got like a long strip of beaches. It's super nice and the marketing companies come down or whatever. So, but you know, Chile is also amazing. Argentina's got its own thing. Have you done Patagonia yet? Yeah. So you've like hiked up in through there. You've gone up into Lake Titicaca and done that. Totally. That's a bucket list thing. Totally. It's something I've always wanted. Lake Titicaca is like surreal. You're like, really? This is still happening? Yeah. So, uh, no, like I, I don't regret the trip because it was epic because I I think on that trip, I, I, I think I did, yeah, I went to Machu Picchu. Oh, so you did like lots of the things. Totally, totally. You know, and, and I, and I think that, uh, and I think that that was a super rewarding trip. Again, good group of people. I, I didn't even, I went by myself and we ended up with a group of 20. Oh, wow. So we did like, uh, Machu Picchu, Lake Titicaca. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff that we did, which is kind of completely amazing. There's like the salt flats, you know, like the salt mm -hmm. lakes and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it was amazing. Like from a, from a nature nature perspective, it's pretty amazing. And I think, I mean, I assume for you, an active holiday is kind of, you get a little bit of everything. Dave does Ironman triathlons, which is unbelievable. Um, I went and watched one and I was exhausted just trying to get to the different points to wave hi to you as you were biking or that running awesome. by. Like it was 11 hours of, of, of 11 hours, 11 minutes. 
Totally, yeah, yeah. And like, and basically, like, 11 minutes was basically when I got out of that glacial lake and I was like hypothermic because yeah. I'm used to 40 degree weather and it was Celsius weather and then, and it was like, you know, getting out of there and I was like, like, a, like, a, I felt like I was blue. It was, yeah, it was Whistler, British Columbia. So cold. I mean, it was in the summer, but yeah, cold lake. Do, yeah, totally. And do you remember? When, uh, like, the weekend before, when I was uh, with your mom and we were, like, driving down and we were driving around, there was, like, these signs that says, beware of bears. And sure enough, on the bike route, we saw a a black bear going across. On the running area, too, over by, like, where I would have waved at you, right before you kind of run into the forest again, before you get to the village. I remember, yeah. Yeah. There was a bear that we saw when we were walking to the point to meet you. Thank God you didn't tell me that. Maybe that would have given me, like... (laughs) exactly (laughs) faster or like take me home (laughs) exactly um so i just assume that a trip like going to you know patagonia machu picchu you get a little bit of everything in that you get the leisure you get the activity the adventure you know your exercise i like a lot of action on my vacations it's very difficult for me to sit still you know between work i'm like always going a million miles an hour i feel so i think when i'm on a vacation I like to uh, dial that up as well. And I, it's funny, I don't know if you've talked to other people, but sometimes when I'm like, when I'm done my vacation, I feel like I need a vacation from the vacation. Yeah, I'm like that. I, I prefer city vacations generally or, you know, Europe, but it's normally something every day. I usually plan a nap in the middle of the day. Like that's my leisure or, you know, I like to go to museums and be quiet. Quiet is, that's my, quiet is my vacation. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if people are excited about the quiet part. But so what I usually what I used to do is like I used to like I used to go to the I used to go all the way to the end, like let's say, you know, a Sunday. Our our work days are a bit different in the near in the Middle East. So, you know, uh, the work week is Sunday to Thursday. So Friday, Saturday is you know, in the Western context, Saturday, Sunday, right? So so what I used to do is I used to kinda of go all the way through and now I've completely changed you need like a day or two at yeah, home so, to so, kind of decompress. So now I'll actually now I'll actually kind of show up at the house in uh, on like a on a Saturday or whatever, and you know in our context here, and I'll and I'll just like just take two days to decompress, do the laundry, get things organized, and get my head back into the game for what's coming next. So, and it's nice because you you also get a chance to kind of take everything in in terms of like yeah. what's happened, you know. Just really kind of experience your vacation again almost right you know like you know remember back in the day when you'd have like have to take out like the either you know we had those disposable cameras from like whatever that kodak yeah exactly and then you like process those or you or you'd have like the actual camera where you'd have to take the memory card out and upload it into your computer and now we have the phones you don't need to do anything no yeah so imagine it's so easy for people to travel these days it's so amazing and now you know when you're going to go to haiti or maybe not haiti but you know when you're going to africa you're going to go to asia you you can read so much information about what you're going to get when you get there um you know when i was traveling we didn't have any of this stuff yeah you just kind of have to figure you gotta out wing you it go or you have to get a tour guide and even the generation before me it was like you know they were they were using mail and going into you know sending freaking telegrams right that's crazy well and i even think like i know people still use travel agents but like it's wild to me to think about going into a travel agent. right and having somebody have to book my stuff for me like that 
that actually seems stressful to me. Like, I don't want to not be in control of every moment right. of every Right. Maybe day. when we're 100, that'll be really easy because we don't want to do that. But, you know, for right now, it's like it's like the fun part, right? You're yeah. like, I want to investigate. The I want to kind of see part. the, the curiosity. Right, totally. Like, I plan dream vacations all the time that I'm not on yet. <laughs> Anywhere that you've been on vacation that you would never want to go back. Like, so not for work, but... In the UN, you said you probably don't want to go back to the same place twice as a general rule. But if you were going to travel somewhere, somewhere that you've been before, is there somewhere that you'd never want to go back again that you've been on? Like you went there on vacation, not went there for work that you're like, absolutely. No, I'm not going back. I it's 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 uh, I feel like, you know, in a lot of the places that we go to, we've only been there for like a week or two weeks or, you know, where like it's magic if you can spend three weeks there. So. There's so many places that I've been to where I'm like, I only experienced this part of the country and I haven't experienced that part of the country, you know? So, um, I, I, you know, I, I've loved every single vacation I've been on in Africa, for example, you know, like going to Tanzania and, um, you know, parts of, uh, Central Asia, like, uh, Sri Lanka, Dubai, you know, Abu Dhabi and you know you talked about Iron Man before a lot of the places I've gone to as well I've been sort of connected to Iron Man triathlon so I would have never been to like Bahrain or Oman or any of these places without having kind of some connection so so I I think um, I, you know I would I would definitely enjoy going to a lot of places there's probably more places in a work context that I probably wouldn't go to like I remember I remember like going to South Sudan in a place called Rumbek where I was living in a trailer. And then I had to get a flight back to Nairobi. And I, I think I was in Juba, South Sudan. And I was like, okay, we're at the airport right now. And I'm basically the airport was like a clay strip, clay mud strip. And they're like, okay, here's the UN plane that you're gonna go and take back to Nairobi. And it was like a six seater. And you get into the plane and you're like, you're like, wow this is not something i've been in and then when the when the motor starts the plane is like jumping all over the place because of the front of the you know and then you're and then you're going down to the, you're going you can actually see the same view that the pilots have and it, it feels like you're going in an s all the way down the the tarmac and you're like oh my god this is not gonna end well and then you get up in the pl you get up and it, you're up and everything's fine and then they're like yeah, there's a funnel cloud up ahead. We probably won't make it through that. So we've got to go around the funnel cloud. And I'm like, what's a funnel cloud? Like, excuse me? What do you mean you can't fly through a cloud? So um, there are some experiences I remember that I would have probably not had. I remember when I was flying to Quetta in Pakistan as well. It's like a lot of mountains. And then you'd have Pakistan International Airways. You know, I don't know if you heard, like lately there was a big uh, fuss about the fact that Apparently there was all the, these pilots were getting um, uh, instructor licenses, but they were buying them. They weren't actually finishing the whole course, oh so God. they got like deregistered in in England. They couldn't or whatever in the UK. They couldn't land anymore unless they verified the the pilot licenses and all that. And I was like thinking, oh my God! Like all those flights I did down to like Quetta, where it's like mountainous and they've got to, like do a steep drop to kind of get into the thing and land. I was like. That's pretty scary. So there's there's stuff like that that I remember more than anything else. So uh, 
So yeah, I don't want to. It's it's it is what it is. You're and not you, closing the door on. I would way. I wouldn't close the door on anything. I and I would also say like when you come out of it, you 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 should come away with like a better sense of what you like or what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's never it should never be like a waste of time. But there are certainly I think it's much less about places you wouldn't go back to as opposed to like places that you still want to see. You know what I mean? Like I was saying the other day, I could probably spend a year in Italy and still not see everything that I want to see. Totally. Well, and what about like, you know, people who live in New York City and like Manhattan and stuff like that and they're in a particular part, but you know, you would never under, you would never get everything in. No. Never. Yeah. You can live there a lifetime. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. What's one of the first things you do when you land as a tourist? Or even as, not as a tourist. Like when you travel to a new place, if you don't have work immediately, what's one of the first things you do when you land? Well, I told you about the scam thing, right? Yes. So it's like, <laughs> Your beware of the scam. Yeah. Tighten the zippers and stuff like that. I, like, I think right now the coolest thing that you can do is when you land, you just have to know what's up. You know, where do you want to go? Where do you want to, you know, where, where are you going? So... I think the first thing that I do when I land is is more about, um, you know, classic stuff like do I have the currency, you know, you, you you know all the gear we carry these days. It's like, do I have like the right travel adapter for like the electricity kind of thing? Because I mean, it depends where you go. But for me, it's like I need to take two or three of them because it's like I have no idea what's gonna like what plug am I gonna plug into. So so usually that's my thing. And then again. It's just trying to figure out how am I going to get from the how am I going to get out of the airport? Because you know sometimes getting out of the airport is the most stressful part. Absolutely. Right. It's like your bags have come on. You go outside, and I'll never forget places like Haiti where there's like a throng of people, and you literally need to like pull them apart and just to punch. And I was working thankfully, so there was like a car waiting for me and a driver. But like you know you you're 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 there's a sea seven deep of people and you're really trying to like get through them you know so for me it's it's like just i just want to get out of the airport and into my like i don't want to say like safe space but like in a space that you kind of like you know where you want to go to and you want to make a base so that's my thing i want i want my base i want that set up and then i'm like then i want to be in exploration mode but I feel, I guess maybe personally, I feel the most vulnerable when I'm at the airport, between the airport and getting to like the next destination. But it's it's so much easier, Sarah, right now than it used to be. Yeah. Because you can be so much more informed now. I feel like a lot of the stuff that we had to do when we were traveling are like, I sound like I'm 100 years old, but I assure you, I'm not. You can wing things right now and you can just like, you know, pop a SIM, chi- SIM card into your like phone get local data you know and you're like set even if you know like having a phone with roaming if you have to you know if you're worst in a case right where you're like i don't speak the language i don't know where to go and you've got this crazy google stuff that's like okay if you're in the city what do you want to do like i remember being in hong kong and it's like okay you've got a 10-hour layover and and you walked in and they're like okay well we'll show you what to, i think it also singapore does the same thing right you land there and they're like uh these are all the things that you can do for the 10 hours that you're here so it's like a and it's like an incredible experience because they basically show you the whole city in a way that it's like tantalizing you're like okay we'll come back right yeah. you know whereas other cities you're like okay 10 hours what am i gonna do am i do i want to venture out of the airport yeah. so there's some really cool 
places that are like geared for layovers and stuff like that. So and I feel like they're mostly in Asia. You know, Dubai and Qatar and all these places are super. I mean, you know, if, if your listeners haven't been there, it's just, it's just, it's just like an awe to see. You're like, really? A ski hill in the middle of a desert? You know, like that's crazy, yeah. you know? And I was just reading this week that they've made the deepest, the deepest pool in the world by more than 10 meters so that people can like practice scuba diving to 60 meters or something like that. Yeah, I know, right? Like, but they, but they basically, and they made it like an underwater thing. So they, they put, they sunk a ship in there so you can do it. But it's oh a pool, goodness. and they've made it also like into like a uh, like a TV studio, because you know, or a movie studio. Part of me, because you know, everybody wants to make a movie about like underwater stuff, right? So, so it's just the, it's just some crazy stuff like that to kind of see. I think Dubai is kind of like one of those places. Singapore also is like one of those places where you just kind of go and you're like in awe of how narrow everybody is in terms of like a homogeneous kind of like this is the way things should be kind of like nordic countries but without the hot dogs yeah totally no (laughs) pork whatsoever because you've traveled so much for work with the un has that changed the way that you travel for leisure you know, one of the things that was really strange to me when I first started working, I would, work, you know, and, and in my work, you know, you, you end up with a lot of like ambassadors or like, you know, embassy staff and stuff like that, right? So, or other people that have been doing this work for a lot longer than you have. And I remember when I was in Pakistan, I was like, oh my gosh, what an awesome opportunity. I can go to like, I can go to Sri Lanka. I can go to, I can go to like Dubai, you know, I can go to India although I found out later that India is a bit more complicated when you're flying from Pakistan and I and I thought to myself why is it that all these people that are here want to go home so and so one of the things that's super interesting when you're away for so long like I'm much closer to go to I can go to Europe in three to four hours right but I choose to fly 20 hours and come to Vancouver why is that and I think it's because you just need like a grounding and you need a kind of a sense of like appreciation. So there's nothing like coming home. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that are like, uh, if I'm, if I spend three weeks somewhere, I want to go home. Yeah. And, but if I'm going to do a week or a weekend, I'm like much more geared to going to like the country, Georgia or going to like Croatia, but those are much shorter trips and they're like a week here, a week there. And um, and they're like super exploration, like nothing cooler than going to Croatia and seeing Dubrovnik, for example. And then you're like, you know, you're back, or you go to Cyprus and you you check out some stuff. Um, so I I think you just, I mean, my motto has always been to just kind of like take advantage of where you're at and and what you can do and stuff like that. So, but I but I do notice that like when I want to take long leaves, I prefer to go to places that are much more familiar and where I've got a base, whether it's family or friends, and, and just kind of appreciate that kind of that um, that environment much more than I would have ever thought. It's less work, it's an easier vacation too. Like I know when mom and I are always planning our trips, there's always a moment where we're just like, well, okay, let's just go back to New York. Because, you know, we've looked at, you know, let, we'll go to this spa and, Arizona like or California yeah. or Palm Springs but then it's like well you know we could just book a really nice hotel <laughs> and have great meals it's just easy it's comfortable it's still a vacation but it's it's what you know it just 
is yeah it's familiar it feels good and it's less work like, totally you don't feel like if you want to spend a day just doing nothing it doesn't feel like you're wasting a day because you want to relax right yeah so depending on how much time you're out like are you out there for adventure or do you want it for relaxation and i think that's kind of something you get with a lot of traveling you're like what's the experience that i want to get out of this you know so uh and i'm super fortunate sarah like i got you know friends from all over the world so like the weekend before this one i was in greece yeah so you know i'm like hey i'm, I'm like flying into greece like hey we're picking up to the airport and we're doing this on friday we're doing this on saturday we're doing this on sunday and we think we should you should extend by like three more days because we have all these other things for you to do you know and it's kind of like wow that's like awesome right yeah. Whereas it's a bit different when you're going to a place where you don't know anything and, and you're more in exploration mode, right? So, so uh, no, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. Is there, like, other than the essentials, your passport, your wallet, or whatever, is there something that you never travel without? Or can you just, like, basically, as long as you have your essentials, you can pick up and go anywhere and you can buy whatever else you need when you get there? Look, I, I am now, I, like, I refuse to kind of think about have I forgotten anything. I'm like... Do I have my credit cards and my cash and my passport? And I'm like, that's the basis of everything. You know, people will tell you about like their noise canceling headphones, their book or whatever. But I'm like, I just want to like, uh, I, 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 I love the freedom of not really having to worry about too much stuff, right? So if I don't have it, I know I can get it. And that's sort of where I want to be. If you had one travel tip to give, what would it be? Beware of the scam. <laughs> beware of the scam okay but honestly i think also like when you're traveling you know expectations are a bit of a killer right so so be open be flexible and um and just be up for an adventure so ha have you been a victim of the scam other than the backpack thief the backpack thief who got on the plane and i and listen i i actually put a towel on my backpack because, and I let it hang so that I could see where the backpack was. And they, and they had managed to unclip the, the towel from the backpack and move the backpack without moving the towel. Wait, so they stole the backpack on the plane? On the bus that we were traveling from. Uh, we, were, we were like around, um, we were somewhere in Bolivia and we were traveling to the frontier with Argentina. It was like a 12 hour bus ride, like on a school bus. It's terrible and uh yeah so so we figured that it happened when we actually got on the plank uh, sorry on the bus because a whole bunch of people got on the bus that looked like they were bus travelers or looked like they were working for the bus company but they really weren't they were scammers they were total scammers and nobody said anything of course so uh yeah no that was not so great and 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 so i had to like scam my way across the border so you were the scammer well, the scam me became the scam more exactly, exactly. But it's nothing like trying to get across the border without any documents and winging it. I'm just surprised that they even let you. Well, I, I just, uh, yeah, I guess one of the benefits of crossing so many borders is you kind of observe like how things are done or how things could be done better. Mm -hmm. And in this certain situation, I noticed that like you know when you're coming across the border, people had to go into a certain area in a lineup, and then they came out of another lineup. But there was no distinguishing lineup. So you could get in the second lineup without anybody actually seeing you go through the first lineup. Oh. So that's what I did. And okay. then, yeah, anyways, it was a happy ending in the end. <laughs>
that's the only scam you've been a victim to. Yeah, I mean, aside from like, you know, uh, eating fried cockroaches on Kosan Road in Bangkok, you know, that's, I don't know if that's really a scam, but it kind of is too, because like, you, you know, once in Bangkok, you have to do all these crazy things like eating the spiders, the cockroaches and the grasshoppers, you know, that kind of crazy stuff. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's the only one that stands out, of course, of all of my travels. Nothing like the gypsies at Termini Station in Rome that toss the fake baby in the air and steal your luggage. Yeah, no, I, I, I did have one situation where I was um, in Buenos Aires and someone came up to me and asked me what the time was and I don't wear a watch. So And I knew I know I don't wear a watch and I was like, obviously and it was a woman so obviously the scams going on here and i had my uh, backpack but what the people didn't realize is i had the backpack under the leg of the table oh, so okay. when the lady was asking me somebody came from behind and tried to move the backpack the whole but the whole table moved so and then they were like and then and then and i caught them so that was like the you know other than you know i have like a heightened sense of awareness i think just the the whole bus thing in Bolivia, that was just a, I mean, it's not to say that everything terrible happens in Bolivia, but, you know, obviously, you just, yeah. It leaves a bad, yeah, bad aftertaste. Exactly. You're like, I've traveled halfway around the world, like, you know, 18 times over, and the only thing that happens to me is in Bolivia, where I, like, actually can speak the language and yeah. stuff like that. And, ironically, as I said before, I was anticipating a scam. Yeah. And I didn't stick with my... My plan of like half stuff in one backpack, half stuff in the other backpack. So, and which, you know, I also found out in that, in that stage is that when you get a travel, a travel, an emergency passport, it's usually only to travel back to the country. Right. So you're not supposed to travel on it. You're not supposed to continue your Exactly. Exactly. So imagine I still had two or three countries to go to. And so I had to like scam my way into two or three other countries with a travel passport. I know, I know. It's cute. Have you ever seen a travel passport from Canada? No. It's like white. Oh. It's really difficult to pretend that it's not a travel passport. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So that's, that's the one that stands out for sure. I had sure. a woman, it was in Cuba, who came up to me. Like we were in Havana. And uh, she said that she dropped her rings in my bag. Oh, like she started to go through my bags. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I dropped my ring in there. What? No, it's my purse. Like we were just out and right. looking at some church, and uh-huh. do people fall? I mean, people must fall for that. They, well, they do. Otherwise, would they right? do it? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. in Jordan, for example, the the um, one dollar bill actually they're called dinars. So the one dinar bill and the twenty dinar bill are very very similar. Like one's green, and one's bluish green. But what the taxis do is they have a blue light in the taxi. So at night, when you go to pay, it's very difficult to tell the difference between a 20 and a 1. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's a relatively inexpensive taxi ride, right? So, they, um, they, uh, so the, one, the 1 dinar is green, the 10 dinar is blue, and the 20 dinar is like a greenish blue. So, you know, so when they give you a change, you're like, did I give you a 1, a 10, or a 20? So, but for sure they do that because it's like, why else would all these taxis have a yeah. blue light inside? It's very weird, right? So, uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's little things like that you pick up every now and again. So, so be 
beware of the scam beware of the scam beware and the cool thing is now the internet is like you know the scams you know you got they're everywhere so so everyone kind of writes about their like horrified experience and stuff like that but uh yeah so beware what is something that other travelers do that just drives you crazy that you can't stand so i i try to appreciate the fact that you know not all travelers travel well but there's other really weird things that you'd think that people would pick up on because they happen to you so why would you do it to somebody else right so the first thing is i feel like there's a seinfeld episode like why do some people need assistance to get on the plane but then insist that they don't need assistance getting off the plane yeah Right. So, you know, when they're saying like, you know, if you need extra assistance, just wait until everybody disembarks and then we'll come and get you. But then the same people who got on with like, you know, assistance are the ones who are insisting that they can get off all of a sudden. And, and you know, all of a sudden, everybody that the exodus of the plane kind of like comes to a complete crawl. Or they're the ones standing in the aisle, like cannot wait to get off the plane. I mean, people with kids are a little bit different. I guess, you know, they generally get early boarding to get their stuff settled. And then it's like, I got to get to the bathroom to change the diaper or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, like. So, so that's like one clear thing. And the second thing, I don't know if you notice, like when you get, you know, like I'm an aisle person on a plane. I don't, obviously, nobody likes the middle seat. And the window's nice if you're on a short haul flight. But if you're on a long haul flight, I want like, I want freedom. I like the window for late because then I you can lean. lean yeah yeah it's a toss-up on that one but but whatever it is do you ever notice that like when people are coming into the row when they've left the row like they they don't lean on the seats that of the aisle that they're going into but they hold on to the seats in front so you're sitting there and you've got nothing to do with anything about the row that's going on and somebody just grabs your seat either to get themselves up or to get themselves in and like flings you and it's like kind of like what like exactly like what like what's the point of this hello like does this happen to you do you know what you're doing as opposed to just putting your hand on your own seat when you want to get up what's with that I feel like sometimes when people get into those situations, it's almost like everything that applies to anybody in the real world just like goes out the window. Totally. Plane. Like I would never in public just take my shoes and my socks off in a movie theater, put them on somebody's armrest or on the back Ugh. of the seat. But like that's something that's happened to me on a plane. Actually, it happened to me at a Yankees game too. Oh. It was so gross. And the guy was like picking his toenails. Oh man, stop it. Like, I don't you know, I'm in the Bronx. I'm not trying to get into an argument. It was like a couple of days after or the day after our wedding. Like, I'm not trying to get into a fight or get him into a fight. Right. But why are you cleaning your toes uh. on the back of my seat in a stadium? Like, I don't understand how people don't consider the fact that they're in public. Because I don't know that I would even do that in my home with people that I was very close totally. to. Totally. Like, you probably but, wouldn't even do it in front of your husband. Give me a break. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I probably would. But still, it's just, I. It's, so I find that with traveling, it's like people lose common sense. Just if they had it to begin with, where I find nowadays it's far and few between. Totally. That goes out the window. Just like really knowing how to participate in life properly is just not there for some people even people who seem to travel frequently i know that i am hyper aware i i almost want to say like i'm not an anxious traveler but um 
people that just get really close to me i hate all the time but when i'm traveling i hate it especially because there's nowhere to go right so it's like just chill out for a second you don't need to be you know the second the seatbelt light turns off you don't need to be up in the aisles getting your bag if you're in row 32 you still have to wait for rows one through 31 to get off ahead of you why don't you just like chill the f out well imagine like with covid you know where they're like please you know that, that with covid traveling has been so funny because people are hyper aware that they need to be like be uh, physically distant mm -hmm. But the minute, okay, we're ready to board the plane, it's kind of like, oh, right, this is a train bound for Calcutta. Let's all get on right now because the train car only has 50 spots and there's 200 people that need to get those 50 spots, right? So, like, I don't want to sit on the top of the train caboose and, and, and then you're boarding the plane. It doesn't get any better because obviously people don't remember that there's physical distancing. And then when you're off the plane, I've noticed that people just are there. They just want to get back to their old habits. So it's like, like you said, okay, we're going to disembark nowadays. It's like, okay, for the first 10 rows can disembark. And everyone is like, well, let's all get up. Yeah. And of course, this is the moment of the plane that doesn't have like those, those filters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like now you're connected to the airport, right? Uh, uh, HVAC system. So so it's it's really strange that um you know people know that they need to get a pcr test people know that they need to wear a mask people know that they're probably going to get pcr tested when they get off the plane and yet they kind of completely forget about all of the other things that they're supposed to be doing between like you know the 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 plane uh, uh boarding and and disembarking process so yeah i think i think that that what you just mentioned is even worse now with 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 covid stuff and some of that mad rush to get on the plane i really don't understand it's one thing if i don't know i know allegiant has kind of i call it festival seating or you know like you don't pick you don't pre-pick your right. seat so and easyjet is like that i'm sure like ryanair is i haven't taken ryanair but easyjet is the one classic the cheapo in europe that i've been on that is like that festival seating or right. basically everything is a la carte totally and i can a little bit more understand it because you know if you're traveling with somebody and you want to get on and you want to sit with them but if you pre-book your seat and you've got a seat the, assignment exactly why like why are you rushing or why are you getting up except for the fact that you've got to put your bag above my seat when I'm sitting in row five and you're sitting in row 35. Right. Why does your bag need to be right above? But me? also, so you know that the bags in the airport never come before, like, the row 40 gets off the plane. Exactly. Right. So it's like, we got to go to the plane. we got to go to the plane. I really think that the, the paying for a checked bag was the beginning of the demise of comfortable airport travel like i notice a big difference from when we're flying internationally and you get that bag included in your flight the the way that people board the flight is so different compared to flying i mean i i consider canada u.s domestic because it's not you it's not the same it's a long haul, you don't right? get a meal yeah yeah and so I think all of that, you know, having to pay that for your bag and everybody wanted to take their bag and put it in the overhead. And I mean, it is more convenient. I often, when I travel to the States, just travel with a duffel bag. Right. But I think that that was kind of the, the beginning of the end for really comfortable 
airplane travel. There are internet sites where people are showing like, here's how you can go, get on the plane without even a checked in bag. And they're like, there's a, I remember seeing something, some guy in the UK actually made a trench coat and inside the trench coat is, is like where he, you know, he made pockets for his socks, his, uh, his, whatever his shirts and everything just so he could get out of like paying for a checked in bag. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've seen, you know, how sometimes when you get to the boarding gate and they're like, oh, our flight is very full. If you have a bag that you'd be willing to check at the gate, it's free of charge, whatever. Great. But what they should do is make the people who have the rolling luggage, not somebody with a purse or a right. duffel bag, like something soft going underneath. They should find the people who have the ones that are borderline too big to be above. Like, I just don't understand. It's anarchy. <laughs> it is. It's craziness. It's craziness. So. And everybody feels so entitled to this shared space. Yeah, I think that the whole, you know, remember we always used to also have as, as North American travelers, like two pieces of luggage at 32 kgs, I think it was, right, each. And then they switched it to 23 kgs and one yeah. Right. And the Europeans have already been traveling for like a decade and a half with just one piece of 23 kgs. And then no less than a matter of years after they introduced that change, we weren't even getting a bag checked yeah. in without paying for a fee. So it's um, yeah, it, it's it's like we've we've been nickel and diming and it kind of it's interesting how it creates. I guess what we're talking about is how it creates like a like a mentality around traveling and what people are thinking about when they get on the plane. I mean, you've already paid, you know, if you're traveling across the pond, you know, the transatlantic flights, if you know, you're talking about, like, I find it hard to believe that you can spend less than $500 on that trip mm -hmm. and to not have to spend another 20 to $40 to just check in a bag and just be done with it. Yeah. Well, and even, I mean, for me, if I have a bag that's big enough, I have no problem paying the $25 so I don't have to lug a bag around the airport. But I'm all about the convenience and I understand that, you know, some people don't have the flexible, you know, you never know why somebody's traveling. Right, exactly. And I, I try now that I'm getting a little bit older to remember that when people are being the way that they are when they travel because it's easy to be like, why is this person being such an asshole? But like, they could be going for a funeral or whatever, right? Yeah. Like they could just be a having a lot of other things going on in their life, their exactly. Life. But, it just, I also find that with older passengers, and I even, and I don't really consider myself older, but I remember traveling in a time when you got a meal. No matter where, like, we were going, you got some sort of a meal, a snack even. I tell you, I tell you on some airlines, day. when you get the meal that you still get, you don't really want the meal. No, but it was still something. Yeah. Not just like the, you know, sesame strips or pretzels and even the, the meals the that you get bag. these days in some cities not that really that great Except right for Pacific. is it awesome <laughs> it's always good on cafe no i've never done it i've never done cafe never done it they used to have a flight that would go hong kong vancouver new york new york vancouver hong kong and that was like it would just go back and forth okay and it was a red eye from vancouver to new york and it was the only flight that i would ever take to new york wow they don't do it anymore because they started losing so much money on it they actually stopped it right after 2000 like right after our wedding in 2000 oh no way but 
that we would leave at 10 at night. We'd get into New York at like six something. So you're getting into the city at 8 a.m. You drop your bags off at your hotel. Like it's beautiful. And then like they would always have, it. I mean, it was like mall food court quality, like Panda Express. Okay. Maybe you're getting like orange chicken. and like, <laughs> But it was, you'd get steamed rice, which is edible. You know, if you're at the airport and you don't have time to grab something to eat, at least it's something that you can eat. Well, you know what you would really enjoy, Sarah, would be like the Gulf Airlines, like Qatar Airways. Oh, I've heard Qatar Etihad, is like amazing. And, um, and uh, Emirates. Yeah. So like back in the day when they started out, you like what we get in first class or business class is what they still serve in economy. Yeah. It's it's just Qantas was really nice also. Oh really? Never flew them. I've flown Qantas to Hawaii before and it was very nice. But again, that's a flight that is intended to continue on. So it was before when I did it, it was before they had direct flights from Vancouver to Sydney. So it was Vancouver, Honolulu, Sydney. Oh, okay. And so you would get the meal. It was, you know, I guess it's an extra long haul flight because that's right. like a 20 something hour flight. Yeah, I really enjoyed flying Qantas too, but I've heard great things about Emirates and Qatar. I mean, they're changing slowly, but uh, but it's it's been there. It's been great. I mean, I I you know when you're on a flight, I think my longest flight with these guys was like the seventh longest flight in the world. You can quote me on that. I don't know if it's that's really the case, but it was from like Qatar, Doha to Brasilia, like you know, in a direct flight. And I looked it up, I'm like, this seems like a long flight. And it was like the seventh longest in the world at the time of the schedules, right? And I was like, man, there aren't enough TV channels and food that you could pump into somebody to get over how long that flight was. I, when I found out that you get a champagne menu with Emirates, I would like, that became one of the things that I was like, okay, one day I just would really like to take a flight. I don't know where, I mean, maybe Dubai. I don't know, but other than that, the only other airline I know that offers a champagne menu is Air France, but you have to be in business or first. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of is interesting because in terms of like nicest airports and stuff like that, it's, it's like, you know, when you're going to Dubai and, and those kind of places, it's just, it's just unbelievable what you can do in an airport these days. Like, I remember going into an airport and you know the idea of shopping i mean they've changed the total concept of like when you're in an airport like what do you do you know so remember like at the before it was you show up at the airport like barely before you can check in because there was no security back then right it was like really minimal and and you were done and and you did it because there was no services whatsoever at the airport now you show up like three hours ahead of time you can go to your lounge or you can go do shopping or do whatever there's like a Gucci, uh, I think even an Hermes in the Vancouver airport now. It's it, now, well, it's Vancouver. It's not like we're somewhere that has these luxury. Well, you've got a Fairmont there. hotel in the in, yeah. in like <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I do also think that our airport for me is one of the nicest airports I've been to in the world. I, I love our airport. I can't agree with you more. It's so welcoming and it's so like relaxing. The only thing is if you're like physically like challenged or you know if it's if you're elderly if it's hard for you like mobility wise i it's a very expansive airport for only having walking sidewalks right moving sidewalks or whatever right like i almost feel like one tram kind of thing from security to the final gate 
But again, I mean, they do have the people movers, too. And on that point, why don't we start with what airport do you think is the nicest in the world that you've been to if, or some? Well, some like notables. some notables. Well, I think we talked about uh, Vancouver being pretty awesome. Dubai is pretty amazing as well. I mean, and it's and it's and here. We're just talking about things to do. Right. So uh, I mean, like, I think cleanliness is important. Yeah. You know, if if I if you're connecting, also like that, some of those airports are pretty. Yeah, like I try and avoid the Atlanta airport at all costs. I hate getting around at the Atlanta airport. Once you're actually in the terminal, it's very nice. It's clean. There's lots of restaurants and stuff like that. But I just hated getting around in that airport. Chicago too. O'Hare is. Um, oh, it's a. I it's hate. A, I hate. Yeah. Chicago. No, and it's it's interesting too because, you know, you you like now we are we are we have so much information, mm -hmm. and you know you could really plan your travel. So especially if you're, you know, if you're flexible with the times and you if you're if you you know if you're even savvy with like what kind of airplane you want to travel on and seat configuration i mean you can really re you can really um uh what's the word i'm looking for create like the itinerary that you want to fly right mm -hmm. and i agree with you like some of these airports like man they are just insane in terms of traffic oh he throws on there for notable mention of airports that are nice to be inside but just the just terrible to get around totally like, totally well, and old to Heathrow was okay it was that new terminal. What is the terminal? Is it terminal? Is it? Yeah. Or I want to say six or something. I listen. I used to when I worked in Pakistan, Afghanistan, we, we used to fly uh, British Airways through London, and I used to love it. And the minute they opened the new terminal, it was a nightmare because basically, you know, if you're going to like those kind of countries, do you remember like? Uh, uh, George uh, Bush, uh, you know, the pres former president, uh, was uh, to kind of like labeled the axis of evil countries. So, so what ended up happening is that a couple of airports, when you landed in them, you were kind of in the axis of evil terminal. Like, oh, this is where Iran, Afghanistan flights, Pakistan flights, like not that all of them were axis of evil, but for some of us, we had this like saying that, why didn't we get to like park at the like the nice terminal? It's like, oh, this is the axis of evil terminal. That's like... Well, like, there's that one area in Heathrow that's just, like, brown. Like, you can tell that's like, the, that area yeah. of the airport. That, that area, to, like, exactly. And that was the one that took you to Pakistan. But if, but, and it brought you back from Pakistan. But if you wanted to transit to, like, the North America, you'd go to the new terminal. And the new terminal, I just, I'll never forget, like, the site of, like, 16 conveyor belts with security for people to go into on oh, and yeah. on connections how you have to oh L lax is like that too sometimes where you land and you have to actually exit the airport get on a bus outside like where the taxis and stuff pull up get on a bus go to a different terminal recheck your bags like you basically are taking two separate flights it's not right like, even if it's the same airline and what happened to the old days and i'm just trying to remember what airports this happens at but but in the old days when you came off a plane you were already pre-cleared to go to the next flight nowadays when you get off the plane they're like someone came up with the idea oh let's make them go through security again mm -hmm. because you know on that 10-hour flight something could have happened and they and you know, between getting off the plane and coming to the next flight, like something else could have happened. So, there are those things that I just, I really, that makes me really, uh, I don't like doing. I, I mean, I just came off a plane. Yeah. Like, w like, what's the point of this next security check? Anyway, so, 
So worst airports though, I gotta say, um, it's funny that, you know, the feeling of Gardamorin in Oslo is super similar to Vancouver. Like it's got a similar vibe. But I, I can't remember if we talked about it before, but like, you know, when you open the doors, you know, when you've kind of come in and you've landed, you know, you just get hit with the smell of boiled hot dogs. Yeah. So that's kind of, that has always stuck with me is like, that's not exactly the welcoming smell I would have thought for Norway. But anyways, I guess it's that or a pickled herring because that's like a thing up there. Um, but, uh, but the airport's beautiful. And then um, another one, I, I was recently going through uh, Addis in Ethiopia. And um, yeah, that, that airport needs a new terminal. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, the, what I think of when I think of Ethiopia isn't really state of the art. It's a beautiful country, though. It's kind of funny because I, I remember going through there once and it was not, I was in the new, a new, newish terminal, but for whatever reason, I was in an old terminal and I'll never forget going to the restaurant and I basically had like a home cooked meal in the restaurant. And then, but when you walked around, there was nothing. It was like 1980 style, you know, nothing. What I know of the people is they're so nice. Yeah. And like I, there's an Ethiopian woman who owns a shop down. Okay. And like she's just so nice. And like, their food is so amazing. Nice. The traditional food is like amazing. Like Ethiopian food is like really amazing. So it's that kind of stuck with me uh, about the last time I went through there. I thought mm, I, I somehow got into the wrong terminal on this one. And I think um, the other one, like the one airport that I always was like, oh God, here we go, was in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince. Because, you know, getting into the airport was like, you were just met with, you know how when you get out of an airport, sometimes you're like, okay, there's gonna be a whole bunch of hustlers outside, like, do you need a taxi, do you need a taxi, do you need a taxi? Like it. Or the people offering to take your bags, but they're not official. Yeah, exactly. Just like it's just a guy. hustle, yeah. it's just a hustle. Like Haiti was the only place that I can remember we're going inside, like just even getting into the airport, there was also a hustle. For what? No, because like people are like, hey, you have to go to security, let me help you scan your bag. You know, the lineup's too long, come with me on this side. But there, it'd be a seven deep hustle. And you're like, oh my God, I gotta navigate this kind of stuff. And you're literally like pushing yourself through as if you're in general admission in a concert. So that I was like, oh my God, I have to go through this. This is gonna be terrible, somebody save me. So, so those are, those are, I've been to some pretty cool airports that are not really airports. I remember South Sudan and Juba, you know, when we're, where we're sitting on this clay tarmac and they're like, and the UN plane is coming in to pick people up and there's like a six seater on a plane and then you get in the plane, like the two pilots are like Russian and you're like, uh oh, this is going to either end up really well or not so well. So that was pretty cool too. And you just kind of see like a trailer on the side of like a, a, a dirt airport uh, 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 tarmac and that's what it is. Yeah. McCarran in Las Vegas is also a very depressing airport. Just kind of thinking about some of my like not so great airport experiences. Yeah. I don't know if it's just the leaving Las Vegas part because you're like normally hungover or still drunk. Right. And you don't want to go. And then there's still like the bling blinging of all the slot machines in the airport. And like without a doubt, some like drunk chick or guy right. in a wheelchair having to be wheeled to their gate, like yelling nonsense. Very depressing airport and then one that i like like no well, i mean i liked i thought it was a nice airport but i hated the whole getting onto and kind of you mentioned this before the um how leaving the airport sometimes is like such a stressful thing 
in I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but is it Shipley in Amsterdam? Oh yeah, Schiphol. Yeah, yeah. So the getting onto the train, that whole circumstance to get into Amsterdam, I did not like. I hated it. Going underground, having to buy the ticket underground, like there was no option to pre-buy the ticket at that time at least, that it might be a thing now. Not speaking the language, not really understanding, and like I didn't really realize at the time how far out from Amsterdam the actual airport was. And then you like get onto the train that doesn't really have luggage space, even though it's going from an airport into a major city. So why is there not the proper luggage racks? Right. So I'm kind of standing in the doorway holding my luggage thinking like, this is a really bad experience. For It was one of my first times in Europe and I was just like, I did not like that. But I mean, those are relatively speaking pretty luxury complaints. To right. <laughs> yeah. Like they're they're at the margins, right? Yeah. Like this could be done so much easier. It's like when you land in some of the airports and like, like a couple of them, like Paris, I remember. I mean, Paris got a few airports, but like Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, it, it's the, the signage for whatever reason is not as clear as it could be, and you're like, you know, you you kind of you want to go to the terminal, and you have like two arrows that are going in completely different directions for the same destination, and you're like, what's going on here? And you know what's really bad nowadays at the airports is like you know when they give you too short uh, transfer time, and you see the security lineup on a transfer. Like I remember being in Rome, and the late I'm like, look at this. You know my flight came in late. You know this is what I have. Is there a, a faster way to get through this? And she's like, that's the lineup. Enjoy. You know, and hopefully you'll make your flight. Remember when they used to have somebody who knew? And I mean, I know this is only generally when you book your connections through the same airline mm. but when they would have somebody meet you they'd have like a clipboard and they'd be like oh you're connecting this is your thing and then they'd give you the express that happens still in some places okay. like istanbul for example on turkish airlines if you're late for the connections because they're all about uh, feeding istanbul with all the connections they'll actually have people there and they'll escort you to your next flight mm -hmm. so um, there are some places that still do that, but it's few and far between. Yeah, so. they give you the little express thing, and then you can kind of bypass, you know, you get in the fast check lineup, or yeah. sometimes you can even bypass security. And, like, that was a nice thing. It's a nice touch. They, so they do do it in some places still, but it's not like, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's, like, systematically done by a lot of the big... I, I feel that the North American airlines especially are not really you know, up to snuff on this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, I know that our Air Canada gets like all these accolades about everything, but it's almost a de facto monopoly, isn't it? I kind of feel like Air Canada is still like way like back in time. Like there's not even Wi-Fi on a lot of Air Canada flights yet. They have Wi-Fi on puddle, you know, like teeny, teeny little United Airlines flight. I took a tiny little United Airlines flight from SeaTac up here. It had Wi-Fi. Meanwhile, going across to, not that that's something, I don't really need right. Wi-Fi when I'm 30,000 feet in the air. But if I was working, totally. like that would be... That's a revenue generator too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a totally, totally, totally bizarre. I do really like the Dallas airport for connections. If Is I that Dallas-Fort Worth? Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice airport. I like that they have like the the monorail system yeah. that you can use if you want to, but it is still walkable. Like yeah. you don't have to use it. And they have, 
pretty great. I mean, there's a steakhouse in there that I, this is like really good. Rome was really good for food as well. Like actually, you go in there. I remember like they had like this amazing like uh, wine bar there's in. There's two in Rome though, right? There's Leonardo da Vinci. And I'm talking the, the one, one that was F, like for Aminco yeah, or for Aminco. Yeah, something, something like that. that. I was in the F one. But, uh, but I remember like going in there going, wow, like this is like amazing. Like, yeah. you know, like charcuterie. I'm like, I'm not in Paris, I'm not in France, but you've got all these like wine selections and I don't know, it's just, uh, it's just pretty, it's just pretty sweet. And like you said, like some airports have a lot of great restaurants, but just to get there is like a hassle, you know, like London Heathrow's got like a bunch of great stuff, but it's like. It's just like a pain to get through, man. And it's really disappointing, and I know that this is a huge first world problem, but the BA Lounge North and the BA Lounge South are very different. And one of them, I can't remember off the top of my head which one is so much better, but one of them is considerably better than yeah. the other one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think you're going to have to do another podcast just on lounges. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just... In particular with COVID on top of that, because you've got some airlines that are like up to the, you know, uh, we have a service and we're going to provide the service. And you've got other airlines that are just kind of like, oh, it's COVID, we're closed. It's really amazing, just kind of like a side note, but still, I mean, in the realm of travel, how COVID's kind of brought out some extremes in people. Like I've been seeing videos online all the time of people who just refuse to put on their mask and then the entire plane has to disembark. And I just really can't imagine feeling so entitled that I could it like inconvenience that many people. Oh, it's unbelievable. I'd it's, be so embarrassed. And it's and it's happening it just takes one person yeah and it happens a lot and that you know and then you know, like I said uh, you know some people are just kind of holding that water bottle there just so that they can say I'm drinking water mm -hmm. and not have the mask on so it's like it's you know you knew the rule before you got on here like what's what's the point what like what are you trying to prove so mm -hmm. I don't know rebel without a cause maybe yeah I don't know I think it's pretty sad um, U.S. Yes, that they're taking like a zero tolerance policy so you'll be legal action will basically be initiated it's, up to thirty thousand dollar fines no fly list like enjoy taking a greyhound for the rest there's of like life. i think it, i don't sure i think is it jet blue that's already announced like five or six passengers they will never fly again yeah. i think american airlines even did the same thing I'm sure yeah, southwest yeah. probably jet yeah. blue southwest are kind of in that same tier like yeah. Allegiant and i've never flown either i've flown allegiant but i've never flown jet blue or southwest but i think they're kind of in that same tier, a lot of the videos I see, the seats look like worse than bus seats. Mm. I'm like, that is a thin seat. Right, right. No, but I mean, I think also, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, I, it, that'd be an issue. It would be interesting to see, you know, like to map that out, like how many passengers were like, you know, refused to wear a mask and was it short haul and it was it linked to a, like, a, like a value carrier. I mean... JetBlue is pretty good, actually. I like I've flown with them a few times. I think the customer service is amazing. But, but I, but I bet you what we'll find is that it's pretty, it's pretty even across the board. Um, you just tend to hear about it more, more often than not for when it's like one of these um, smaller airlines. Cause I think people take advantage of the fact that. Oh, and you can't get away from it now because everybody has a phone. 
Totally, right? Have you seen some of these things where people are like filming the like what's going down and stuff like well, that? That's and some what of the I'm plans? talking about, yeah, like yeah. the video. So I saw one the other day where a woman didn't want to stop FaceTiming somebody that she was on the phone with and wouldn't put her mask on. And so the marshals had to come on the plane or the police or whatever. And the entire plane had to disembark. Everybody had to get all their luggage off. It, it was like over a two-hour wait. How? Uh, 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 what? I just flew from Tel Aviv, maybe uh, I was going to Florida, and uh, when was that, in April? And we were on time, everything was fine, and it was like, what's the, why are we not leaving? It's like someone's being, someone refuses to wear their masks, so we're, we're, uh, we're deplaning them. So they had to put the connector back on. They had to, so we had actually left the car park, the, you know, the parking area, and then they had to push us back into the car park area for this person to get off the plane and then find his luggage and deplane and take, get rid of the luggage. And I was like, man, we're on a transatlantic flight here and you just, you, 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 we were two hours delayed mm -hmm. over somebody who refuses to wear a mask. And I just feel like you must have a very privileged life to feel like that's what's oppressing you. Like if that is, I mean... That's my assumption as to what's behind it, right? Is people wanting to maintain their freedoms and their personal whatever. Fine. You're in public. You're not in your personal space anymore. Yeah. You're in a public space. You're in a actually really a private space. The space is kind of owned by the the, the airline, airline, right? right? Yeah. It's not it's not your space. So really you doing it is like you're almost agreeing to that. Like, what's a contract? Yeah, it's a contract. So yeah, it's a social contract, if nothing else, right? Like, be a decent human being. Nobody likes it. I don't enjoy wearing a mask when I have to, you know, go out and do things. It doesn't feel comfortable. It's and, not. And the whole point is, it's for the person next to you. Yeah. So you're basically telling everybody next to you that you don't care about them. Exactly. Like you are more, you know, uh, privileged than the other. Anyways. Yeah. It's yeah. Total entitlement. Crazy. Um, food, best, worst countries or cities. Look, I, I love food, as you know. I have to say that I am so lucky that I get to have like different, like I experience different things that I didn't experience before. You know, first of all, we're in Vancouver, right? So we have this amazing Asian influence. So, you know, dim sum is like totally amazing i think we've got some of the best sushi anywhere in the world we have the most i don't know if the stat is still true but we used to have the most sushi restaurants per capita in the world really yeah i mean it's just awesome we were talking also you know when you open this up around uh, around uh, microbreweries and stuff like that and how that's sort of t totally lit up so and you know we have uh we've got some great wines here right here at home so so look, I think I think like the bar is pretty high already when you're coming from Vancouver, and I'm sure that's uh, that's totally biased, but it it is what it is. But like the other thing that I really liked when I was traveling, especially in Asia, is how different the herbs are and like the tastes are. Like curries for me, like I just love curry. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like in heaven in Thailand, and, and it's so. Oh yeah, green curry, like oh, coconut curry. It yeah. is just amazing. And then you swing over to like India and Pakistan, and they're like you know it's kind of like not the same, but it is the same. Yeah. You know so. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I had to stop eating so much bread because I really enjoy eating bread. But it's so interesting also how like bread accompanies a meal in different cultures, you know. And then like the, 
the flatbread that we use in Afghanistan is completely different than what we use in Pakistan in terms of shape. And then you've got the Middle East. I can't remember the name of the bread that they would have in Ethiopia, but that really thin, porous, yeah. like flatbread. Yeah. In the in the Middle East, it's called like shrak. It's like super super thin, right? And you kind of like fold it, and it's like super easy to pick up. Whereas in other countries in the Middle East, you have like much more of a pita type of yeah. bread, right? Um, but then you know you swim across to Italy and you go to all these little towns and stuff like that. And they, you know, someone's making this bread. And you're like, how did you make this so amazing? And it's got like super basic ingredients in it. So, and then like the other thing that I absolutely love is uh, you know when I'm down in South America and a classic asada like barbecue and just with amazing meats and you know Argentina's got this like little sauce called chimichurri, mm -hmm. which is like totally awesome. So yeah, I um, think that that's kind of where I'm at right now in terms of like diversity. There's also been like a lot of interesting experience. I talked about pigeon pie before from Morocco. Um, that's been pretty neat. And I, but you know, the thing is the diversity of what's out there and what you can eat, right? I love tagine. Like I would love to, I mean, I haven't yet made it to the Near East. Now that you're back there, like maybe I always said, I, that I missed my chance when you moved because I probably wouldn't go if I didn't have a guide and somebody that, right. you know, really knew the area. I think I have a similar feel about Russia. I've always wanted to go to Russia, but it's not somewhere that I think that I would feel safe. Yeah, Russia, Russia. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people will be listening to this from Russia because I'm sure that everybody from Russia will see it. But I'll tell you, when I was there, you know, you like Range Rover sports with like blue lights on them, left, right and center. And you're like, you know, I worked with a man who moved here from St. Petersburg as an adult. And you know, I remember telling. So I kind of not really fell in love with Russia, but I really enjoyed when I was taking uh, history when I was in high school, learning about Russia and just seeing how beautiful some of the architecture yeah. is there and how different it is from different parts of the world and even just their the train stations look like opera houses. glamorous they, right yeah. so you know i was expressing this to him i'd really like to go i don't really know much about the food but it seems like somewhere i would really enjoy and he said absolutely do not go unless you're on a tour right so i felt like hearing that from somebody that's from russia made me more nervous about going to russia because because of that like it might have been somewhere that i would have considered going alone sooner but now because of that i i will probably wouldn't and i feel like that about the middle east is i would be more likely to go to visit you because i would feel like i would be safer but i mean petra is somewhere that i would oh, love man. to see in my life and i yeah, might took my parents on like i remember telling you the story a while back on the indiana jones tour totally not indiana jones but i just kind of like threw that in there but i'm like you know you're down there awesome awesome trip is to go to jordan you know there's a lot of roman ruins there you've got petra in the south you know you can cut across to jerusalem you know and uh, and see uh, parts of israel and and then go to cairo and see the pyramids at giza mm -hmm. i mean and then you've got like luxor in the south and i i mean there's just such a rich history in that and that and it's and everything is you know, technically it's drivable, but you're talking about flights that are less than an hour, right? So, I mean, you drive from Jordan to Israel or vice versa, you catch a flight from either location to kind of, you know, whatever, and then you can put up your feet in Dubai and yeah. take it all in at the Burj. Have some uh, tagine in Morocco. I'd like to see Marrakesh. And like, where's the blue city? That's in Morocco somewhere too. Is it? Yeah. Okay, it's not Casablanca, I guess, is it? I don't think so. No. 
I can't blue city. I didn't even know about that. The blue city. I can't oh, interesting. I, I think also Tunis would be super cool to see. That mm -hmm. was something I've always kind of wanted to see. Yeah, that would be super, that would be super cool. It's amazing how close, I mean, when you look on a map, how close they are to Spain and Portugal. Like, you don't really think about the fact that basically Europe and Africa almost touch. Right. right. There, Down in know? Gibraltar in particular there. And then that, that's how I went to Morocco. I actually took a ferry from, from Spain across the way to, to Morocco. Is it? I'm just trying to remember the port there. I, I want to say Tangier, but it can't be Tangiers. But anyways, the the port in the north there, and uh, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. It's just so close, mm -hmm. and uh, and there's so much to. I, I mean, Africa is super cool to explore. I mean, you know, we haven't even talked about like you know the wildebeest migration and the uh, on the eastern side, you know, hiking up Mount Kilimanjaro and stuff like that, and then. Uh, you know, all the amazing things in the Great Lakes districts, like the gorillas in and, and Congo and um, the whitewater rafting that you have down there and uh, between Uganda and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like, it's a, it's just a totally different scene, like totally different. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I remember driving from, you know, it's we, driving something that should only take an hour and taking five hours because there's no roads. So it's like, it's like a, it's a completely different, you know, you just go back in time and you just, you know, it's not like getting into Europe and taking the train from Paris to Brussels. Mm -hmm. It's like you're going to get on something that probably doesn't have AC, although it probably could have AC. You're in these Toyota 4Runners that they don't sell anywhere in the world except for in Africa nowadays. And it's going to be bumpy. Yeah. And you're not going to have like a 3G connection, um, you know, and you're just going to rough it. So there's, there's something cool about these kind of places that we don't talk about, right? Like these uh, places in Africa... Mongolia I've always kind of felt like what what a cool thing would be to go to like that part of Asia you know like Far yeah. East Asia like still hidden gems yeah exactly that the, that the roads that are a bit less traveled right so and then you know what do they have to offer and stuff like that so um, yeah and all the stand countries as well you know you got like uh, Turkmenistan uh, Uzbekistan uh, and so yeah there's just so much there it's so rich Georgia was a cool country that I didn't even realize would have was was so incredibly uh gifted with like winemaking for example and has got a tradition of winemaking that like like goes way way back and, and and claims to be like the originator of making wine i'm like what i would never have guessed that amazing and uh, and and it's even more innovative to see how they cure some of the wines and like old missile silos from the ussr so no, like it's uh, there's a lot of stuff that that are that are in these kind of places, and you would you go there and you're just like blowing your mind away, and that's kind of one of the things about travel. It's like one thing is to kind of like you know really know where you're going, but sometimes it's just really cool to go and not know anything, and either go with somebody that knows somebody that is there, or just to explore when you get there. Yeah, yeah, super. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up now. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this with me. It's always great to talk to you, of course, but uh, this has been extra special, so I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, and, uh, you know, I only got into Vancouver a couple of days ago, so uh, it's uh, it's really awesome to see you and, and everybody and stuff like that, and, uh, and good luck with it. Yeah, and we'll uh, start planning our next family vacation because it's been a while since we've had a... Since 2018 was really the last place we were anywhere. Hey 
Exactly. Together. Exactly. So we're overdue. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Right. Cheers. Ciao.